Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Memorial Day weekend creeping up on us, so the summer movie season is really heating up now. One of the big wannabe blockbusters coming out this weekend, and a couple others to talk about as well, along with what's new on home video. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and we'll start off with the latest. I think we're up to number eight. eight. If you count the Abomination Predator Alien series. Yeah, let's count it. Okay. All right, so we're up to number eight in the Alien franchise. It's Alien Covenant. It's the first ever large-scale colonization mission. And everyone back on Earth is really grateful for your hard work and your courage. We're making history here. What happened here? <gasps> What's happening? I need you back here right now. I need you back. Okay, baby, just calm down, sweetheart. Calm you didn't down. Tell me to calm down. You're breaking up. Now, the headline with this one is that Ridley Scott is back. He, of course, was the director of the original in 1979, and he was back a few years ago for Prometheus, and now he's back for Covenant. And you know what I find interesting? So uh, you liked Prometheus better than I did. I did. A I lot was, of people were really down on Prometheus. I was Prometheus. disappointed in it I because thought it was okay. I thought that it was more interested in sort of big existential questions than it was it in was. being scary. And so I think he kind of writes that ship with this one to a certain degree. Believe me, he is still interested in the big, big questions, absolutely. But at the same time, I would say that Alien Covenant is more full-on horror than even the original Alien. Yeah, I think so, too. It's almost like he heard that criticism right. that Prometheus was a little too a little too thinky, yeah. a little too head-trippy, right. and decided to go back and get a lot more visceral. But he didn't. He did not abandon head-trippiness, no, not, not at all. But he definitely brought in a lot, a lot of blood. There's a lot of blood this time around. Yeah, there really is. And I think you're right about it being a, a lot more full-on horror. It is kind of a slow build before we get up up and running with yep. that but uh, it is there's a lot more blood a lot more carnage and uh yeah straight up straight up horror techniques while still advancing some of the questions that came up from prometheus about creation right and about extinction and about evolution gods and monsters gods and monsters gods and, and monsters. things like that yeah so in this one we've got once we're this deep into the franchise we're really seeing more of the same which makes it feel almost inherently like a retread there's yeah. there's a crew there's a ship there's a crew it's going somewhere it gets detoured stranded then there's aliens people have to try to stay alive and we've got the same thing here we've got a ship the covenant that is set out for a distant planet take about a years to get there they're on a, a mission they're on a, a flight to get to a, a distant planet where they're going to colonize they've got a crew of about 14 or 15 in hypersleep i guess you'd say and then they've got colonists that are about 2,000 or so. 2,000. This makes me wonder, because, of course, Prometheus is a prequel, and this is set 10 years after Prometheus. Mm -hmm. are the, is this the colony of aliens to, to, for the second film? Are these the colonists right. that, right. you know, years I, into the future yeah. will be terrorized? Yeah, I, I would think so. That, that, it, it's an easy jump to make there. Yeah. Uh, but so you've got these, and then you also have a certain amount of embryos on the ship as well. 
And while everybody's in hypersleep, you've got a synthetic. There's always a synthetic in these uh, in these alien Aside movies. Aside from the xenomorph, the synthetic is always the best part of the movie. Yeah. Well, Ellen Ripley was the best part of the first well, yeah, few. Well, that's but. true. <laughs> uh, so this time you've got a synthetic uh, name. This one named Walter, again played by Michael Fassbender, who, of course, was the synthetic David in Prometheus. Best part of Prometheus, easily. So Walter is taking care of things, and then there's a mishap. There's a power surge. There's some kind of... A space storm that causes the crew to be awakened early, and then they have to uh, decide whether they want to continue on to their destination, or it looks like there's a planet right nearby where they've awakened that could be habitable, Habitable that they might want to, instead of risking going back into sleep and having more problems arise, I think most of the crew votes to, no, let's go down and check out this planet that looks like it might be safe to colonize. And that, my friend is a mistake. Yes, it is. It always is. <laughs> it always is. It always is. Never so, listen to that beacon in space. <laughs> but what, what, as you say that uh, David from Prometheus was the most interesting th- thing there, we find him again on this planet, and that is where Michael Fassbender plays the dual roles of the two synthetics, both David and Walter. And what a great performance. And as you said, that really is the most fascinating thing about the movie. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I said this as we were leaving the theater that in all the Frankenstein movies that they have made over the years, James Whale, the one with Boris Karloff that you remember, there's a reason you remember that the best, and that's because James Whale was more interested in the monster. In all other iterations, they're more interested in the mad scientist. Much as I love the mad scientist angle in this movie, I found it disappointing because I am more interested in the terror that comes from the alien. And they go into some interesting territory, some very Guillermo del Toro territory with the monsters this time. Because, you know, over the series, they sort of morph and change what they look like. Oh, and what do you mean by that? By So the- Pan's Labyrinth, for instance. I mean, in Guillermo del Toro's films, he is he's a master of creating little monsters. Of course, they, they work with the Geiger image that we've had since the very beginning. Oh, yeah. But, but they've changed. They always change the look a bit. And in this one, you get, you get I don't know, I'd say six or seven different different looks Mm -hmm. but i think it's sometimes it takes you out of it i think the cgi is is not always as crisp like if you said we like a guy in a suit it works so well the first time yeah and i know the technology is there for the cgi but sometimes yeah more is less and you do notice it and then it brings up questions about you know the uh, integrity of the story remaining intact like oh wait i thought there was a longer incubation period required and They'll say they look like that now when they get born. And, yeah, so there are things there that I think may be a drawback with yeah. using this right. improved CGI. But you do get some more good looks, and uh, it that is able, those CGI is able to make it more, get you into situations that are more, quote-unquote, scary and more horrific or what they can do for this monster running around. And, you know, those those face huggers still... Those face huggers oh, yeah. are still so terrifying, yes, especially they when they're either jumping at you or running around and trying to get you. Man, so you're right. They they do have a lot more of those monster, different types of monsters running around. But uh, yeah, the big questions are still intact. Uh, big existential questions, and that's well where we'll leave it with as far as David and Walter, because that's where the real big questions get dug into between the two synthetics. But like you like you say, it's all about creation. It and is. It's, you know, and in a lot of ways, it's sort of. 
I think it also speaks to filmmaking about what Ridley Scott is doing in creating this film. I mean, that's just what the movie is about a lot of ways. It's sort of men can't have babies <laughs> and look at all the havoc they can wreak because they can't just have babies. They yeah. need to make all this other stuff. And it's, you know, I mean, again, since Frankenstein, people have been exploring this idea, but it's not. It's done more interestingly this time, I think, than in Prometheus. One other nice thing, I think, it didn't really feel... Uh, many times with these big blockbusters, you keep pouring on more, 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 and the runtime turns out to be two and a half hours. This one doesn't no, seem and I was afraid that it would. bloated. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Although, I think we both agree there are a handful of scenes that are unnecessary. Yes. And in fact, there's one scene in particular that just smacks of a bad horror film yeah. that I thought was completely unnecessary. But yeah. for the most part... Not just Fassbender. Fassbender, who is one of the most talented actors working today, easily. And he's brilliant in this movie. But, I mean, the cast is solid, right? Danny McBride was very good, which was a little surprise. Yeah. A bit of a surprise. Not, not used to seeing him in a dramatic role. Catherine Watterson. Always good. Yep. She's always good. Billy Crudup. It's an interesting yeah. character. They don't really flesh it out, but he does a good job with it. He's also, he's turning into a great character actor. Yeah, he is. And, like we say, it is a bit of a, a, bit of a slow build to get to the heart of the action, but once it gets there, it doesn't really feel bloated. The running time is about, it's about two hours solid, but uh, it doesn't really feel like they've just run away with excess right. and just pouring more and more no, and more no. in. So that was, that was welcome. But uh, it is scary. It is bloody. Is it completely successful? I don't think so. No. But I think it still is, it still is worth checking out, mm. I would say. Just not, just not a really great, great addition to the franchise. It's not going to beat one or two, I'll tell you that. No. The other big nationwide release this week is a story of a teenager who's lived in a sheltered life because she's allergic to everything. And, of course, she falls for the boy, the cutie, who moves in next door, and it's called Everything, Everything. This is my whole world. My nurse, my mom, uh, my sickness. I'm 18, and I've never been outside. What would happen if you went outside? Probably spontaneous combustion. Here I have HEPA filters, outsized viruses, and bacteria. Where would you go if you could? The ocean. I've never seen it. You. Dear mom, I know staying in this house keeps me alive, but this isn't living. I want to experience everything. Everything. Maddie, what are you doing? Go back inside. No, Holly, I have to know if I'm really sick. And the only way that I'll know is if I'm outside. I'm messing up your life. My life is better with you in it. If this doesn't scream YA novel, I don't know what does. <laughs> right? And those, boy, those are usually not our favorite No, No, they're really not. Um, and I'm going to give this film credit. It was directed by uh, Stella Maggie. And usually these films are so angsty and overwrought and melodramatic. And this really isn't. I'm going to give her credit. She really created a kind of a, there's a nice restraint to it. It doesn't just wallow. And, and uh, on the other hand, there's still all of those artificial constructs that, because the, the, the main character has to be so special. Yeah. Everybody has to know how special she is. And of course, in this case, she, she honestly is because she cannot leave her house, right? She's like the old 70s Travolta TV movie, The Boy in the Plastic <laughs> Bubble. She can't leave her house. Don't so forget she, the Seinfeld but plastic bubble episode. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a dream boat moves in next door. And of course, he also, because, you know, he's new in town. So he doesn't have any friends and he doesn't have anything to do but sort of be quirky and adorable and moon around and wish that he could come L in and visit Look at her. her and know she's special. That's right. And so they text each other. and, and But honestly, I mean, I'm going to give this film really a lot of credit because it's also, it was written for the screen by J. Mills Goodlow, who did the best of 
Me, which is one of the worst of Nicholas Sparks films, and that is saying something. That is. He also did The Age of Adeline, which is just a piece of garbage, which is just a a Nicholas Sparks knockoff. So I had very, very low expectations going in, and, and it more than exceeded them, particularly, I think, because there is a really nice chemistry between Amanda Stenberg, who was Rue, by the way, from the first Hunger Games movie. Yay. And and then Nick Robinson from uh, The Kings of Summer. So uh, both, you know, young yeah. actors that I like from other films and like this. And they, they do a nice job of, of being awkward and charming in the completely false, fabricated relationship that nobody's <laughs> ever going to have in a million years. So it's a nice movie. It's toothless. It's it's. I mean, and it's funny because in these in these YA movies, death, some sort of tragedy always looms, mm-hmm. always, every time, because we just can't have quite enough drama. It's not even possible. Right. And because of this girl's um, um, illness, that's what you figure. You figure it's going to be, it's, a, and, and so I'll, they, they take a weird turn, an unexpected turn, a full-on bizarre turn, and at that point, I think maybe the restraint comes into play. You're like, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't somebody go to jail or something right now? <laughs> but so, but it's just a silly, ridiculous, couldn't possibly happen. But look at how cute her outfits are, little movie. Well, and as those go, it is be, passable. And let's be honest, we are not the intended audience for this movie. Uh, they are definitely young adult type films and stories. And you're right, most of them teach the kids, almost teach them outright to wallow in the drama that oh, they yeah. crave. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so this one gets points for maybe easing up on yes, that a little bit. agreed. agreed. But, st- but still, not a great movie, but better than your average YA. That is Everything, Everything. And there's another one that's getting limited release this week that I liked a lot, and it's the new movie starring Richard Gere, and it's called Norman. And it has a parenthetical title, Norman, The Moderate Rise and Tragic Fall of a New York Fixer. Uh, which is pretty long to put on a marquee, but let's just call it Norman. But it's a great character study and a great detailed web of lies and desperation and uh, connectivity of this man, Norman, who seems to just never sleep. He just is always around New York City in the same coat and hat, trying to hook up with people. And can I do you a favor? What do you need? I can help you get it. And then try to expand his circle of friends, his circle of influence, and just always working one angle or another. And uh, he finally, what he says, bets on the right horse when he does a favor for uh, an up-and-coming Israeli politician. And then lo and behold, three years later, this man becomes the prime minister of Israel. Oh, So all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden, after years of you know, exa- exaggerating his influence to people, Norman really does have a friend in a very high place, which turns out to be problematic for the friend, sure. for the prime minister, sure. uh, where people actually start paying more attention to Norman. But Richard Gere is just fantastic. He's, he's in, having a nice couple of weeks. He right? really he in, is. He was in the dinner last week. He's, I mean, he's having a nice resurgence here. Yeah, he is. And it shows that he really is talented. You know, early on in his career, he was just a pretty boy right. uh, that got, didn't get taken as seriously as maybe he might have. But no, he really brings it here. And I hope... This movie isn't small enough that it gets lost come awards time because yeah, it's I think, not a good time of year either for that. I mean, he, he might be forgotten. By yeah, the time that I think happens. He, he should be remembered. He's he's just great, and it's it's very well put together, written and directed by a guy named Joseph Cedar, and it's it's interesting and compelling as as a political thriller, but it also has something to say about friendship and lies and uh, little white lies that we tell ourselves and others. Because at the heart of it, Norman just wants to be thought of as doing something that matters, not only 
to himself, but to other people. Sure. And that is really his his quest in this movie. And it's fascinating, and I liked it a lot. It is limited release, but if you can seek it out, it'd be worthwhile, and it's called Norman. Coming out at Home Entertainment this week, three movies we would pass on, and then, you know, a smaller film that we loved and think you should you should seek out. Yeah, out on home video, you've got uh, Xander Cage, Triple X3, no. The Return of Xander Cage. No, looking for a comedy? Because it's an un- unintentional comedy. It's just terrible. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you've also got Resident Evil, the final chapter. Please, God, say it's true. And also The Space Between Us. Another another very angsty, very artificial YA. But the good one this week, and it's funny, it's taken a good two years for this to wind up on home video. Movie that I really liked. It's called Viva. It's uh, the story of an, uh, where an estranged father returns to find his son, a hairdresser, performing in local drag clubs in Cuba. And there it becomes quite a, a study of the boy and his father, but also really the, the locale in itself. Cuba becomes maybe like a, a third main character. Some of the locales and some of the photography is just great, but the performances are really fantastic, and it tells a nice story of the changing relationship between the father and the son and the son struggling to live comfortably as himself and be the live the type of life that he wants to uh, with possibly the blessing of his father. And it's it's very good. It's called Viva. That's out on home video. Really the pick for us this week oh, no question. Uh, on home video no by question. far. Looking ahead to next week when it is officially Memorial Day weekend, some big movies coming, and it gets started early because opening up Wednesday of next week is Baywatch, the movie version. And you kind of liked it. I did kind of like it. We'll get into it more next week, but you did. And uh, I've been kind of hopeful at some of the trailers. I thought that maybe they're taking the right approach with this, and for the most part, they did. Uh, And we'll talk more about that next week. And also Pirates of the Caribbean. This is number six. Oh, my God. Dead men tell no tales. Just stop. But Javier Bardem is the villain. You know what? That only makes me sad because (laughs) I love him, as you know, and I just, I just, and I, you know, is Paul McCartney in it? He he does apparently have a a cameo, yeah. I just, I just want him to stop, George. (laughs) Well, maybe it'll, you know, upend our expectations. We'll find out, but... Any comments on uh, these movies? What do you think about Alien or any of the movies we talked about? Let us know. Best way to keep the conversation going is on Twitter. We are at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. On Facebook, we're Mad Wolf Columbus. And you can always find the written reviews of these movies and other fun stuff on our website, which is madwolf.com. And as always, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and madwolf.com. And until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.